Well, the world has found out what we at Central have known for a long time, and that is Brian Davis is a creative genius. You know, we had so much fun putting together that Welcome Back video, a parody off of the Frozen song, and you've enjoyed it. Now so many other people have enjoyed it also. Over 25,000 people from around the world have tuned in to watch it and let us know how much they've enjoyed it, how much joy and hope they've received from that video. It really has been incredible. And perhaps even more incredible, I think that that song has been sung in our house over 25,000 times during this last week. It really is incredible. You know, it is good to have that feedback, isn't it? it we, we enjoy just doing a job and doing it well and then getting that feedback and knowing, hey, people appreciate it, people like it. We, we, we like to have some type of response. Everyone likes some type of response. In fact, it's one of the reasons why Facebook is so popular with people because there is that engagement. You get to say something or post something and people can like it and they can interact with it and that kind of tickles our endorphins to know that people care about what we're saying, what we're thinking, what, what we're posting. And you know, we're not the only people who enjoy that, who like some type of response. That's indwelt into all humanity because we are made for relationship. We enjoy the interaction. We need the interaction. You know, it was no different for the people during Haggai's time either. We're con- continuing our series this week in the, in the book of Haggai as we study what this prophet said to God's people. And our series is titled, A New Normal. Because you remember, Haggai is writing to a people after they're allowed to return home from exile, after they're allowed to return from quarantine. And Haggai, he makes the point in his first message that we looked at last week, that as you're returning, as you're beginning this new normal, you must focus on displaying God's presence to your community. And so in Haggai's day, that meant that the temple had to go up. And we understand that in our day, that means that the temple must go out because we are the temple of God. And so when Haggai delivered this message to God's people, they responded, they got to work, the temple began to go up. And so, seeing their faithfulness, seeing their obedience, Haggai then delivered this second message, and that's where we'll pick it up this morning. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, the prophet writes, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. So you need to understand that this message of Haggai, it occurs about two months after the first message that we looked at last week. It was enough time for the prophet to be able to see, for God to be able to recognize that the people were being faithful, that the people had responded to the first message, that progress was being made, the temple was being built, things were happening, it was good. And you would expect that the spirits would be high, that the people would be encouraged, that they would look at this temple going up and they would be high-fiving and congratulating one another. Oh, if it were our day, you would expect that we would be taking pictures and posted on Facebook so that everyone could see the progress that was being made. But not so fast. You understand, this message, it occurs during the Festival of Booze. Haggai's very specific in dating when he's giving these messages, and so we're able to see that this message occurred during the Festival of Booze. You you may remember this festival. It was a week-long feast, a week-long celebration, where what happened was that the people would leave their homes, and they would go, and they'd basically camp out for a week. And they did this to remember how God protected his people when they were wandering around after they had left Egypt. And so it was a celebration of God's protection and his provision and his presence with these wandering homeless people to be reminded that they were still at home with God. And so during this time, Haggai gives this message. In fact, the festival will end the very next day, but the last day of the festival of booze is always celebrated on the Sabbath. It is a, it is a solemn day of rest. And so the last ordinary day of this feast, this grand festival, is when the prophet delivers this message. And you would expect that he's delivering it to a, to a people who are just excited, they're seeing progress, and now they're, they're celebrating God's faithfulness and his goodness and his provision and his protection and his presence. But that's not really what happens because you, you need to understand that there's a group of people who had seen the previous temple. They had seen the Solomon's temple that had been destroyed. You understand that Solomon's temple had been destroyed about 66 years prior when the, when the people were first exiled out of Jerusalem. And so there were some old enough. And so the prophet is asking the question, you saw the former temple, didn't you? And now this one, it looks as nothing compared to that, right? Because that's what the people are saying. See, that's, that's the word on the street is they're looking and they're saying, oh man, this temple just cannot compare to Solomon's temple because they remembered Solomon's temple, how it was perched high in the city, this grand structure, a stunning piece of architecture. Solomon's temple took over seven years to construct. And 
The Jews didn't even build it. Solomon, he hired out the best architects and the best engineers from all around the world. And they came in and they built the most magnificent structure the world had ever seen. It was built from the finest stone from quarries all over the world. He spared no expense. This Solomon's temple, it was lined with gold and virtually every inch of the inside was handcrafted with these delicate structures of uh, images of lions and palm trees and angels and the artwork was intricate. This temple, it was over 180 feet long. It was over 90 feet wide, over 50 feet tall. The tallest point of this, of this temple was over 20 stories tall. It was incredible. There were two mammoth bronze pillars that welcomed people as they entered into this temple. There was a bronze tub for ceremonial washings. This bronze tub held 17,500 gallons of water. I mean, people took pilgrimages from all over the world to come and to behold the glory of Solomon's temple. This was quite a magnificent architectural achievement. And so you could go on and go on and go on in describing this temple. And so the people remember that temple. I mean, it was a sight to see. And now they're seeing this one go up. And they're saying, you, you know what they would be saying, don't you? Well, back in the good old days, you know, we had that temple. And it was good. I mean, this is all right. But man, that temple was something else. Back then, we really had the temple. But this, I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. And so you know, you know what that does to it? That's so discouraging because here you are, you've, you've obeyed the words of the prophet, you've gotten to work, the people have rallied together, the temple begins to go up, and you're hearing from people, well, it just can't compare with the previous temple. And you know it's true. You, you know deep down, yeah, it's true. There's no way. We've heard all about Solomon's temple. There's no way that what we're building is even going to be able to compare to the temple that Solomon had constructed. And so, I mean, the people, they, they didn't have the resources that Solomon had. I mean, they, 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 they couldn't just spare no expense. They didn't have the expenses to use. They, they weren't the finest architects and the best engineers from all around the world. They, they were just people who had returned home from exile from quarantine, you know, the, no one would be traveling the globe to see this structure and everybody knew that. You know that feeling too, don't you? When you, when you work so hard to do something well, but it just doesn't turn out the way you hoped it would, or you look over and you know, well, you know, they, they just did it so much better. It just didn't measure up. And then instead of like showcasing it and say, look what I've created, well, you kind of want to hide it back and well... Hopefully no one will notice that this is the best that I've got. That's kind of the attitude that's going on, that's infected the people of God, the people in Jerusalem. They had worked so hard for over two months on this temple, but now it was clear. Everybody knew this temple would just no way measure up to Solomon's temple. And you know, as people, we love the comparison game, don't we? The, the, the people in that day, they loved to compare this temple that was going up to Solomon's temple and say, oh, this one doesn't measure up. 
And we like to do the same thing. Today, we compare ourselves to what other people have done. We, we, we see how we stack up and how, me, how we measure up against other people. Understand this. When you play the comparison game with other people, it will eventually lead to discouragement. Because eventually, you'll find somebody more talented than you, more gifted than you, stronger than you. It will eventually lead to discouragement. You also need to understand this. God never compares you with others. The only person God ever compares you to is Jesus Christ. You see, he is at work in you to conform you into the image of Christ. He's never looking around saying, well, how do you measure up to the, to the other guy? He's, his only interest is seeing the risen Christ be evident and displayed through your life. And so... Haggai ends this festival with a people who they should be celebrating, but it's somewhat of an empty celebration. Things just aren't as lively and as exciting as they really should be. And so with that, Haggai counters their discouragement with this imperative that he repeats, that he repeats three times. First to Zerubbabel, be strong Zerubbabel. Then to Joshua the high priest, be strong Joshua. And then to all the people, be strong. God's people, you must be strong as you rebuild this temple. It reminds you of the of the words that God spoke to a previous Joshua after Moses had died and God told Joshua, be strong, Joshua, be strong, Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Because you understand this is a command that we as humans, we need to hear, we need to hear often. That we must be strong, we must be resilient, we must be a courageous people. The people of Haggai's day, they're looking at the temple that is going up, that they're building, and they know it cannot compare with Solomon's temple. And they're wondering, will will people even look at this temple and, and recognize God's presence? Will people even be encouraged in seeing this temple? Will God even want to inhabit a temple like this? Would it be worthy of God? These are the doubts. These are the questions that are running through their minds. You know, one of the difficulties in preaching through the book of Haggai is Haggai had two months. God had two months to see that the people were faithful. The people were obedient to the first message. See, but when we're preaching through it, we just jump into the second message a week later. And you need to understand, if, if this past week, and really over the course of your life, if you are intentional and faithful in displaying God's presence and being a temple that goes out and you intentionally make disciples of other people... Well, then this second message is a message you need to hear. But if that's not like the heartbeat of your life, I mean, if, if you are not living intentionally, investing into the lives of others to make disciples, well, then really you're not quite ready for Haggai chapter 2. You, you still need to read Haggai 1 again and let that message kind of run through you. You'd be better off studying that. But for any of us who who do pray and who do go out and who have this purpose in mind of making disciples and seeing the risen Christ lived out in the lives of people, wherever we live, work, study, and play, then you probably have moments just like these Jews had moments where they're wondering, can... Can we really make a difference? Is what I'm doing as I live my life, as I'm investing in others, is it really amounting to anything? What difference can I make? What skills do I have to offer? Am I really going to measure up? Will it all be worth it? 
because we know that, hey, my knowledge is somewhat limited. My, my skills are sometimes lacking. I don't have the eloquence that I would like, the knowledge that I would like, the skill that I would like. I look nothing like Solomon's temple. And so we can relate to these people of God, can't we? These people who they're looking and they're saying, the temple that we're building doesn't look anything like the temple that Solomon had built. And so this message of Haggai comes to us, just like it came to the people back then. Now it comes to us to be strong, be strong, be resilient, be courageous. Don't give in. Keep up the work. Keep going out. Keep making disciples. You really are making an impact. Be strong. Don't give up. God is with you. Be encouraged to be strong because the presence of God is with you. And so that was the message that the prophet delivered and he gave to the people. This is the second message of Haggai. Work hard. Be diligent in continuing to go out and making sure the temple continues to go out. That God's presence is continually displayed because God is with you in all of this. This is what he's made you for. This is what he's designed you for. He is with you in all of it. And did you notice how Haggai communicated that and how he encouraged the people? He reminded them of God's presence in the past and he brought them back to that place in Egypt. Remember, this is what they're supposed to be celebrating this week, how, how God was present with his people and he did provide for his people during the wilderness wanderings after they had fled Egypt. And that's exactly what Haggai brings them back to. And he says, just as God made a covenant with you, your people back then, so that covenant still remains today. God promises to be faithful to you. He promises to protect you, to be present with you. He's not leaving you alone. He's in this with you. So you can be strong because the God of all everything gives you strength. And we need to know that God is present with us because we have this tendency to look around, to look at ourselves and just to think, well, what do I have to offer? I don't have this platform, this reach where I can just talk to all these people. I don't have the charisma. I don't have the eloquence. I don't have this. I don't have that. You know what I think God would say to you? I think he would remind you of people in the past as well. Maybe he would draw your attention to Timothy and he would say, you remember Timothy? I mean, this meek, mild, timid guy who doesn't think that he can really lead people. What, what did I say to him? I had Paul write to him and tell him, Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you are young. Continue the work. Continue to work. Continue to be faithful. You be the example. You set the example for the people. Or maybe God would remind you of Peter and John. You remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 when they're standing before this religious leaders, this governing body, the Sanhedrin. And these leaders, they, they look at Peter and John and they think, oh, these guys, they're, they're nobodies. They're just going to fold under the intimidation of our power and of our presence and of our eloquence and of our knowledge. But that doesn't happen. Peter and John, they begin and they give this defense of the gospel. And the religious leaders, they're blown away. They're amazed. And they even say, man, who are these guys? We thought they were unschooled, ordinary men. How did they speak with such eloquence? Or maybe God would remind you of all the disciples. And he would say, look at this Look at this group that I had Jesus pick. I mean, this is a ragtag group consisting mostly of fishermen. You got a tax collector. You got a political insurrectionist in there. 
But it's, it's just a ragtag group of guys. It's not some group that you would look at and you would say, well, I really admire these guys. I mean, this is who I aspire to be. Their, their reach was small. Their platform was small. Their knowledge was lacking. Their credentials were questionable. And yet, God chose to use them to impact the world. Or maybe God would remind you of Jesus Christ himself. You remember the questions that surrounded Jesus during his life and ministry and what people were looking at and saying about him? I mean, they say right off the bat, hey, Jesus is from Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Everybody knows nothing comes out of there. That's a little podunk nothing town. There's no way anything of significance, any one of significance is coming from Nazareth. Or later, you remember the question that they were asking, isn't this guy Joseph's son? I mean, he's a carpenter's son. What does he have to say to us? Why, will we sh- why should we pay any attention to what he's teaching? Or later, the people would ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, why do you hang out with morally bankrupt people? I mean, you're hanging out with sinners and prostitutes. What kind of religious example is that? I mean, th- th- this is wrong. Look at who you're associating with. We, we're like a little too good for that, Jesus. This, this example that you're setting is not good. Or perhaps even at his crucifixion. When the question is implied, hey, he saved others, but he can't save himself. What kind of a savior is this anyway who is unable to save himself? See, don't you see as you look back over the course of history, of human history, that God loves to use the seemingly ordinary, insignificant people to accomplish eternal things. Why? So that everyone can know that God can use them to make an eternal impact. See, God wants you to know that he can use you to make an eternal impact. If God simply chose the most experienced leaders instead of Timothy, if God used the educated, extraordinary people rather than Peter and John, if God chose religious leaders of rare eloquence as opposed to this ragtag group of disciples, If Jesus was born into a place and into a family of nobility and prestige rather than being Joseph's son from Nazareth, well then we might be able to look and say, you know, I'm not sure that God can use me. I don't know that I have the background. I don't know that I have the knowledge. I don't know that I have the skill that I could be of any use. Let's pray that God would send someone who could be a leader and could actually make a difference because I know it's probably not going to be me. But God doesn't do that because what God wants his people to know is there are no exceptional people. There is simply one exceptional God. But when this one exceptional God lives his life through you in the presence of just an ordinary, everyday person, well then eternal things can happen. Extraordinary things can happen. This one exceptional God can use ordinary, seemingly insignificant people to accomplish extraordinary things. And that's what he wants to do in your life 
and in mine. And that's the second message of Haggai. Don't give up as the temple goes out. Keep working to display God's presence. Don't become discouraged. The community must know that God is alive, that God is active, that God lives, that God loves, that God cares, that he's present. The people must know that he's here. So you show them that. You display his presence. You be intentional in reaching into the lives of people, into making disciples and training them what Jesus said and modeling for them and living life with them so they know, hey, this is how I make disciples. This is what it looks like. And you know what happens? This extraordinary God is going to use you in extraordinary ways. Lives will be changed. People will be transformed. God's rule and his reign will expand. And this is the promise that Haggai gives at the end of this message. He he delivers this promise from God at the end. And I love it because God presents himself through the prophet as a God who is a mover and a shaker. He's a mover as he moves with his people throughout the wilderness wanderings. And how he has this covenant that he's going to be remaining faithful to them and be present with them. He says, so I'm still with you now. And so we see this God who moves with his people. And at the same time, we see a God who shakes things up. He says, I shake the earth. I shake the heavens. I shake all the nations. See, God can shake the people. He can shake the hearts of pagan kings. He can shake the resources from the lands to be sure that what the people of God need will be provided because all the resources of this world are ultimately God's. And you understand what happened at that time? If you go back and you look at the history of this, the wealthiest nation on the planet at that time was the nation of Persia. And there were many opponents to the Jews rebuilding this temple in Persia. They didn't want to see it happen. But God shook the heart of this Gentile pagan king to collect taxes from the Persian people that would be redistributed to the people of God in Jerusalem so that the temple could go up. The very opponents of the temple going up actually funded the construction of the temple because God shook the nations. There was also this subtle reminder that God delivered to his people. The people thought that Solomon's temple was so spectacular because it was lined with gold and it was magnificent and the structure was just incredible to look look at. It It was just spectacular. The architecture was exquisite. It was a sight to behold. And when you see something like that, you can begin to think that the trappings of the temple is where the glory can be found. But God says, hey, I already own all the gold. I already own all the silver. All the resources of the world are mine. That's not where glory will be found. I will fill this temple with my glory. My presence brings the glory. And so he's helping the people to understand, hey, the glory is not found in the gold. The glory is not found in the architecture. The glory is found in his presence. And see, this this new temple, while it might seem meager in appearance, and and the people needed to know that God was going to fill it with his glory, that the appearance, the, the exterior didn't matter. It was just simply by virtue of God being present in the temple. 
And now, the, the temple today, we understand that we are the temple of God. This is what we talked about last week. And Paul asked the question, do you not get it? You're the house of God. You're the temple of God. On the outside, you know, members of the body of Christ, we can look at ourselves. We can look at our bodies. We can say, oh, I'm so meager. You know, I, I'm so meager in appearance. I, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm not as powerful as I'd like to be. I'm, I'm not as in shape as I'd want to be. But when God's spirit is present then we understand that there is this optimism to life. There is this vitality. There is this joy. There is this excitement. And we are people who think about what is good and what is pleasing and what is perfect. So we are free from complaining. We, we live lives of joy and optimism and strength. And we're known by our love for people when we let our light shine. This is what a Christian looks like. This is what a person who has a real relationship with Jesus, this is how we look. And so and, and it's incredible because you know it immediately. They, they have been transformed. The glory of God is on display in their lives because you know, man, God is present in that person. God said, the glory of this latter house will surpass the glory of the first. God promised that this second tem temple would be even more impactful than the first temple that was built. And it was. And that's true for all of us. The glory of this latter house really is greater than the glory of the first. See, when you're born, you're born without Christ. And yeah, you're a baby with this silky smooth skin and people just ooing all over you. You're a child and they just gush and giggle over how cute you are. But once you enter into a relationship with Christ, yeah, maybe the years have taken their toll. Maybe your skin's a little rougher. Maybe people aren't oohing and on and gushing and giggling the way they used to. But now you are marked by the presence of Jesus. And so this latter temple is even greater than the first because you possess the glory of God. And God says that I'm going to bring my peace there. I'm going to bring peace to this latter temple. You understand, when Solomon's temple went up, it was only about a generation later that the kingdom of Israel split into the northern and southern kingdom. They became a nation divided, a people divided. And when we live without Christ, that's what we are even internally. We, we are a person divided because we're not consistent. I mean, we live life based on our feelings, based on our emotion, based on whatever logic and reasoning we think we've got. And our minds change. We can't agree with others. We can't even agree with ourselves because we're a changing people. We're a divided people. But once the presence of God enters your life, then you are not governed by your emotion. You are not governed by your will. You are not governed by your reasoning or logic. You are simply governed by the word of God. And so you live and you act accordingly to God's truth. And then at that point, you have this peace because God brings peace. And now you're able to become a person of peace. You're able to become a peacemaker into the lives of others because you bring the presence of Christ there. And you explain this is how you have peace. This is how you can be a person of peace. And so this is what happened at the temple. This temple would become a place of peace. And now we become people of peace. You understand, if you are purposefully and intentionally displaying the presence of God wherever it is you live, work, study, and play, but you have times of doubt where you just wonder, am I, am I making a difference? Is this, is this really accomplishing 
anything? Is, is all of this effort, all of this energy, is it really worth my time? I, I don't feel like I'm quite as productive as I'd like to be. Well, then this second message of Haggai is for you. And God wants you to know, be strong, keep at it, keep displaying his presence because he is with you. Now, if you've never really made that effort, if, if you've never said, okay, I'm going to live the mission that God has made me for. I'm going to be intentional in going out into my community and making disciples. I'm going to teach them everything that Jesus commanded. I'm going to live life with them, walk alongside them. I'm going to befriend the unfriendly. Well, then, if, if that has not been a heartbeat or rhythm of your life, well, then you need to go back to the first message of Haggai. You need to understand you must be a temple that goes out. You must display the presence of God. This is what he's made you for. This is what life is all about. And see, understand, this God, this extraordinary God, he can use seemingly insignificant, ordinary people like you and me. He can shake the hearts of Gentile kings, and he can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things as we share Jesus and impact people we can have an eternal impact by the presence of the living God being displayed in our lives heavenly father we thank you that you are present in us that even when we look at what we what we do and what we're about and sometimes we think that what we have to offer is so little is so meager you remind us through your prophet that you are present and that you are with us, and that you are empowering us. So God, may your presence be on display through our lives this week. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.